Hey guys, Pastor Jurgen here. I'm so glad you're tuning into one of our powerful messages that is guaranteed to absolutely elevate your life to another level. At Awaken, we only want to preach fresh, real, powerful to help you grow stronger in your walk with God, develop your faith so you can take more territory. I'm praying that God blesses you and enriches your soul as you listen to this amazing word from God. God bless you. A lot of times when I preach, I'll be asked to share my slides with people. And it's hard because they're like big graphic files. And it's like, what do you want me to do? Send you like a 150 megabyte PowerPoint document? Like, it's tough. And I feel bad because like I want to share things with people. But when Pastor Jim was here last, he's like, oh, just go and get my notes with a text code. So If you want the notes for this sermon, I'm going to go through a lot of scripture. It'll probably be easier for you if you're like me and like to nerd out on things to just text Pastor Morgan's notes to 55525. There's some really cool stuff in there. It blew my mind. So hopefully it'll bless you. All right. Okay. So we're going to go through a lot of scripture. And because there's a lot of scripture, some of it I'm going to paraphrase rather than just reading to you. I'm going to relate to you what's in the scripture. If you want it word for word, Download the notes, but we're going to go on a really fun and I hope really transforming journey this morning, and we're going to start right in the beginning. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis 1-1 in the literal beginning of the Bible. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In that scripture and throughout Genesis 1, God is the Hebrew word Elohim. Elohim is a generic, impersonal title for God. It's God's title. It it, it speaks to his power and his position. It would be like calling uh, me pastor or calling the president. Well, maybe that's not a good example, but calling, uh, (laughs) calling a teacher a teacher or calling, you know, Uh, a friend, friend, it's very rare that you actually call your actual friends, friends, right? You usually refer to them by name, but this is a title. So Genesis 2, 7 through 9, when God formed man in the Bible, the name changes. And instead of saying God, it says the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden and there he put the man who he had formed and out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. Lord God is God's actual name. It's the yod heh vah or is the... Uh, Jewish people would say Yahweh. It's an actual name. It's personal. It's his relational name. It's not his title. He didn't give man uh, a relationship with him where he was just a figurehead. He gave man, he gave us a relationship as a father. Yahweh is God's name. It speaks to his personhood. Like my name is Morgan. There are some people that maybe don't know me well, or just out of honor, we'll say pastor. But it would be really awkward if my wife came home and kissed me on the cheek and said, pastor, 
or my kids came up to me after a long day at work and I walked in and they ran up and hugged my name, my leg and said, pastor, pastor, (laughs) right? It would be weird. And all throughout the next uh, few verses, if we go 2.15 through 3.9, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden and to tend it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, of every tree in the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day that you eat, you shall surely die. And the Lord God said, it's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. And if you go down to... uh, Now, the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. I want to make something really clear because it's not always clear when it's taught that angels and spirit beings know God uh, in a way where they know his power, they know his title, they know him positionally, they do not know him relationally. He doesn't have a personal relationship with the angels. He didn't have a personal relationship with the devil. He had a positional relationship. And the serpent was more cunning than the animals that God had formed. The Lord God, Yahweh, not Elohim who spoke things. The Lord God, Elohim, when he wanted relationship, he formed things. The woman said to the serpent... Oh, so the serpent was more cunning than the beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And the serpent said to the woman, has God indeed said? The woman only knew God as Yahweh, as Lord God. The serpent only knew God as Elohim, positional God. The serpent serpent injects mistrust in the woman when he talks about position, takes out relationship, And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit which is in the midst of the garden, God positional has said, you shall not eat of it, nor shall you touch it lest you die. That when that injection was made, the woman started to speak the same language as the serpent. And uh, Dr. Brian, when he preached here a few weeks ago, had this revelation that when Eve saw the tree in the garden when her relationship with God was right. When she saw the tree, she just saw protection. She didn't have like a big charge about it. It was just like, oh, God protected me from that tree. But then the serpent injects doubt and presents God as being this insecure positional leader. And when leaders have insecurity and lead from insecurity, they do not create security in their people. And the serpent caused her to doubt. And the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave it to her husband and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were open and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. God would come to them in the evening when it was cool. And a good father, I aspire to be this. I try to make time for my kids at the end of the day. When I'm done with work, I don't just collapse on the couch and like try to numb myself out with drinking or just absorbed into social media. I try to spend time with my kids. 
to make time for him. And God did that in the cool of the day. He's a good father. And he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day and Adam and his wife hid from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden like the, the leaves that they'd sewed together weren't covering them enough so they just jumped in some bushes so they were completely surrounded by leaves and that still wasn't good enough. And the Lord God said, called to Adam knowing full well where he was and said to him, where are you? So the serpent knew God positionally, not personally and only cared about power, not relationship. The serpent wanted to destroy Adam and Eve's intimacy with God. So he planted the seed of doubt in Eve's mind and referred to God only by his positional title. It caused Eve to not trust and it caused her heart to become deformed. Pastor Mike Connell, who's Pastor Jurgen's spiritual father, will talk about the orphan spirit. The orphan spirit, just to be very clear, is not a demonic spirit. It is our own spirit that has been twisted into believing a lie about the Father. That our spirit is orphaned. And it's like the gateway spirit. Just like they say, like, marijuana is the gateway drug. Like, the orphan spirit is the gateway to a lot of other demonic, unclean spirits that can come in and defile us. Because when we don't trust God, when we think he's insecure, when we think he's not good, when we think the laws that he put in place are trying, he's trying to control us out of insecurity rather than trying to free us into destiny and the best lives possible. When we believe the wrong thing about God, it twists us at the most core level of the relationship with the father. Because if we don't feel like we can trust our father, who can we trust? And there's a lot of us like me who had a very broken relationship with our natural fathers. And we put the distrust that we have for our natural fathers on God. But let me tell you, God is the perfect loving father. And then when we have this orphaned spirit, we believe all sorts of things wrong about God. We don't believe that his promises are for us, that his promises are yes and amen. We believe that we need to earn them because we have this idea that we are not enough to make it in this world. That when that relationship gets damaged, we start to perform for acceptance rather than performing out of acceptance. And it's very interesting what happens next that I had had a, uh, I had been asked to preach a message called Cops and Fathers about four years ago. And I was preparing for that message and it was about how good God was, that he wasn't a cop, that he was a dad. There's a song from a, a, there's a, song from a band called Pedro the Lion that was like an indie Christian crossover band that I had no idea were Christian at all. And there was a line in this song called Minor Prophets and Their Prostitute Wives that is really like a song of God to his lost sons saying, I treated you as if you were a princess. It's really like Hosea to Gomer. It's a long story. But anyway, it's like, I treated you as if you were a prince or a princess, but you treated me like a cop. I gave you boundaries to save you from certain death, but you just saw it as rules. And I'm preparing for this message and God keeps bringing me to the most inconvenient scripture. <laughs> Genesis 3, 21 through 24 for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. 
Then the Lord said, behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. And now lest he put his hand and take of the, also of the tree of life and eat and live forever, we need to kick him out of the garden. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed cherubim at the east of the garden, flaming sword, turned every way to guard, guard them from the tree of life. And I kept coming back to that scripture and I was like, God, why are you highlighting this to me? And if I'm honest with you, I wanted to edit it out because it was super inconvenient to my point. You know, I'm trying to preach this message about how God, how good God is. And here he is like yeah. to his kids. And I was very conflicted. I'd already sent my, my slides to production. All my notes were done. I was solid about what I was preaching on. And God kept bringing me back to this scripture. And in between the morning and evening service on Sunday, I sat out in my car and I was literally like weeping. I was so convicted because I felt like I was lying. I felt like I was editing scripture. And I know that when you teach, that you're judged at a much different level than people that are just hanging out in the crowd. And I'm like, God, I don't know why, if you're the same yesterday and today and forever, that you would reject your children. And I felt the Holy Spirit say, and thank God for the Holy Spirit, read it again. But know that just as I gave them protection from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, I needed to take them away from the tree of life. Because if they'd entered... If they'd taken from the tree of life and eaten, they would have stepped immediately into eternity. But if their relationship with me was still broken, they would enter into an eternity permanently separated from me. I did it to buy them time. I mean, look what Adam did. He just like tilled, tilled the ground. But look what I did before. I sewed for them tunics out of leather. They covered themselves with leaves. There had never been death in the garden this is the first sacrifice in the Bible. And it was a sacrifice that God made with his own hands. And it's this beautiful prophetic picture of a good father that always goes first. That he went first, made a sacrifice to cover them while they covered themselves in a way that was inadequate. He covered them adequately as best he could through a sacrifice and then took them away from the thing that would have brought them permanent separation from the father to buy time for him to be able to buy them back. And he did that with his own life. He became that prophetic sacrifice. So Luke 3.38, you know, it's such a, it's such a crazy thing. So Adam and Eve believed that they were orphaned when their hearts got twisted, when their spirits got damaged by this belief that they had about a father that would reject them. Everything that they saw was through a lens of rejection. They didn't believe that they were still beloved son and daughter. They took on the orphan spirit, believing that they had been rejected from the father. Lucifer was the first orphan. He was orphaned. He was kicked out of heaven. And his twisted spirit, his twisted mindset is the legacy that he tries to get into all of us. 
That's his plan to destroy intimacy with the father. And when we have that mindset, we don't see ourselves as accepted, beloved sons and daughters. We see ourselves in a very different way. But Luke has this amazing revelation and he has a, Jesus's entire lineage all the way back to Adam. And in 338, it says the son of Enosh was the son of Seth, who was the son of Adam and Adam was the son of God. Adam was formed by the hand of God as a son, not as a servant. There was never a time that God saw Adam as a servant. He always saw him as a son. But the restoration of relationship with the father that comes through Jesus, we're given the Holy Spirit because Jesus said to his disciples, I will not leave you orphaned. I will not leave you spiritually orphaned. You have this legacy of orphanhood that has come through Adam, the second Adam came to restore relationship, right relationship with the father so that they could then see the father as a father and see themselves as sons. When we have that broken spirit and we see the father wrong, some of us go into performance. Others become angry at the injustice and rebel against the father. But it's one of two roads for those of us who carry an orphaned spirit. It's the road to rebellion or the road to religion. And my message today is called Rebellion, Religion, and Spirit-Filled Sons and Daughters. Because <laughs> the only way to restore that heart is through a relationship with the Father. The only way to restore right relationship with the Father is through Jesus who came as the perfect sacrifice to restore the relationship with the Father. And coming through that restored relationship, we receive our inheritance as sons, which is the Holy Spirit that comes to live inside us and give us a new heart. That's what it means to be born again. You can spend a lot of time getting very spiritual and trying to cast out an orphan spirit, but an orphan spirit, it's not something that's outside of you. It's something that's inside of you that needs to be healed. And the only way that it can be healed is by getting a, a, like a heart transplant from the Holy Spirit. And then the Holy Spirit starts to make sense out of things that make absolutely no sense to our natural minds. We start to see God the Father differently, and it changes the way that we act. If you fall into religion and think that you need to earn God's love, or fall into rebellion and think, I don't have time for this God that I can't trust, you'll stay far from the Father. And there's a beautiful story that Jesus tells, a parable called the parable of the lost son. 
And a lot of times we tell that parable that, oh, the father is so loving that he accepted the lost son back. The son that had squandered his inheritance, he accepted him back. But truly in that parable, there are two lost sons. There's one that's lost to religion and there's one that's lost to rebellion. And at the end of the story, the only one that gets invited, the, well, both of them are invited back inside, but the only one that actually enters back into his father's house is the one that was lost to rebellion. It's the craziest thing. For those of you who aren't familiar with the story, there's a certain man who had two sons. This is the Middle East. This is 2,000 years ago. And one of the sons says to the father over dinner, Dad, you know, I think I would rather live like you were dead. I want my inheritance early. I think that I know what to do with your money better than you do. So why don't you just give it to me now so I can just go live my own life? And the craziest thing is the father actually does it. He sells his stuff to give his son, who's clearly dishonorable, his inheritance early. And the son goes off. And if it were a son here today, he'd go to like Vegas and get a, get a penthouse at the Palms or something and get a bunch of like hookers and cocaine and like really do up Vegas. But when the drugs ran out, when the harlots all left, there was a famine in the land. And the people that were around when the party was going have all abandoned him. And he joins himself to a pig farmer. Pigs were unclean animals. This is the most shocking thing that could possibly happen. And he goes and feeds pigs. And the pigs are eating better than him. And he has this thought that even the slaves in my dad's house are eating better than me. Even his servants are eating better than me. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go back to my dad and I'm going to tell him that I'm no longer worthy to be called a son. I know, but maybe he'll accept me as a slave. I'm going to go back there and I'm going to see, I just want to be around him again. I got it all wrong. I just want to be around my dad, but I don't need him to accept me as a son. I'll just be a slave. I've done all these bad things. I know he's not going to accept me, so I'm just going to go. And maybe, and he turns and goes back to his father. And while he's still way far away, his father comes running to him. And he falls on him and hugs him. And the son goes into this whole thing of like, hey, make me a servant. I know I'm not worthy and the father's like not hearing any of it. He says to his servants, bring me my very best robe. Clothe my son in identity, restore his identity. Bring the signet ring of the house, the house that I used to seal letters, to seal documents. Give him the authority in the house again. Put sandals on his feet. Give him purpose again. Fully restore my son. And then he goes and he slays the fatted calf, the best piece of meat that they have on their farm and throws his son a huge party. And while this party's going on, the other son who's slaving away in the fields hears it and is like, what the heck is that? So he goes back and he finds a servant. And he's like, what's going on? And the servant's like, haven't you heard? Your brother's come back. The one that was dead is alive again. The one that was lost is returned. Your dad's throwing a huge party. Come on inside. And he's like, no. Uh-uh, I'm not going to go do that. He's not deserving of a party. Go get my dad. It would be very dishonorable for a son to refuse to go to the party of his father, especially at his own house. One son dishonors him with rebellion. The other son dishonors him with a religious spirit. But the father leaves the party and comes outside, and he says to the, the older son, like, hey, 
what's going on? And the son's like, I can't believe that you're doing this. I, I have, I have, I have, I've done everything that you've asked. I've never disobeyed you. And you haven't even given me a goat to celebrate with my friends. But this son of yours, not my brother, not my brother. You kill the, the fatted calf and you throw a party in his celebration? Uh-uh. And the father also doesn't respond directly to his objections. But he corrects him. He's like, son, you have always been with me. I didn't need a slave. I didn't need somebody to do all this stuff. All I've ever wanted is a relationship with you and you have always been with me. And by the way, everything I have is yours. You've been waiting for me to give you a goat. It's your goat. Take one, whatever you want. If you wanted the fatted calf, you could have had that too. But you never asked because you don't understand me. You don't know me. You've made it all about rules. And at the end of the story, the rebellious son is the only one that's inside his father's house. The other one's still standing outside with his arms crossed. And it's the saddest thing to me because truly rebellion is a lot easier to correct than religion. That the Bible breaks sin down into three categories, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life. And if you look through all of the gospels, there's never a time that Jesus healed a lust of the eyes or a pride of life guy. The lust of the flesh guys are easy because their sin is its own reward. It destroys them. But the ones that are look but don't touch and the ones then that are like look but don't touch and I should be congratulated for looking but not touching, those people have a very, very wrong heart. And Jesus will correct their heart, but he doesn't heal them. And there's a story about this that is in all four gospels. And I have never read it like this before. It's in your notes. I put all four gospels in the notes so you'd have it. I am not going to read it word for word, but I'll tell you the story. And it's the story of the woman with the alabaster jar dining at the house of the Pharisee. And we tell the story every year in Hero, and it's a very powerful story. And a lot of times when the story is told, the focus is on Mary, who was a prostitute, who breaks this incredibly valuable jar of oil to anoint Jesus. And if you read the four gospel accounts, each of them have different details and all of them cover the people involved in a way. Not every gospel account tells everybody's name. The ones that tell the names don't tell the sin. And there are two accounts, Matthew and Mark, that refer to the, the, them dining at the house of who they call Simon the leper. The other two gospel accounts say that he was Simon, but he was a Pharisee. So he's a Pharisee with leprosy. In John's account, it says that Simon was the father of Judas Iscariot. It's the most like mind-blowing thing. I'd never seen this, and it completely changes the way that I see the scene that happens. So in this account, if you put them all together and see the story, there's Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Lazarus had probably left the town of Magdalene to go find his fortune in the big city in Jerusalem and like lived a little bit outside the walls in Bethany. Mary had gone into prostitution. Martha had gone into being incredibly controlling and people-pleasing. 
all three of them are dysfunctional. There was likely a lot of dysfunction going on in the family of those three. Mar Martha is serving at this party. Lazarus, who had been raised from the dead by Jesus, is sitting at the table. It's in Simon, the leprous Pharisee's house. Some people believe that Simon had been healed, but I don't think that he would have had the same conversation with Jesus had he received healing. He would have been a lot more loving to the woman that was also unclean that was washing Jesus' feet. But there's this woman that comes in, Mary, the sister of Lazarus and Martha, who had had an, a real understanding of who Jesus was. And she breaks open this jar of oil that's probably worth by today's money about 50 grand. It was like a year's salary. It was the most valuable thing that she had. And as a prostitute, probably the one thing that she could buy a dowry that she could maybe find a husband with. And she breaks that thing open and anoints Jesus' feet. And while she's doing this, I don't know what's going on with her, but she's having a moment and she's weeping and her tears are running down Jesus' legs and she's wiping them off with her hair. And Simon, the Pharisee, Judas's dad, has a thought to himself. Meanwhile, he's probably hiding his leprosy. Leprosy would progress over time and you could have sores that you could hide for a while, but eventually those sores would creep out beyond your clothes and you would be seen as unclean. He knew that he was unclean, but he was hoping to have an encounter with Jesus, hoping that if he just invited Jesus to his house, that that encounter would heal him. But what he's seeing is Jesus encounter this woman who is also unclean because she's a prostitute. And she's at Jesus' feet anointing him with oil. And Simon thinks to himself and says, if this were a true prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. For this woman is a prostitute. And Jesus turns to Mary, but speaks to Simon and says, do you see this woman? When, you came into my, when I came into your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with the rain of her tears and dried them with her hair. You didn't anoint my head with oil, but she has broken the most expensive thing that she has and anointed me for burial. You didn't even greet me with a kiss, but she has not stopped kissing me since she came in. Truly, I say to you, her sins, which were many, are forgiven, for she loves much. But he who has been forgiven little also loves little. He had a religious orphan spirit. He saw himself as rejected, as unclean. And I know that there's people that will judge themselves as unclean and hope if they just come around the presence of God, come around the church, that maybe they'll just be healed by osmosis. But they're hiding the thing that is making them unclean under a priest's robe. Jesus responds to him, and if you had an orphan spirit, you would see that response, that correction as rejection. But how many of you know that good fathers correct their kids because they want to bring them back on track? They want to heal the thing that's broken inside them. And he, he says, hey, it's an invitation. You think you're unclean, but you could have touched me. You could have anointed me. You could have kissed me. I would have let you. Because just as I don't see her as unclean, I don't see as you as unclean either. I see her as a daughter. I see you as a son. You have never been rejected. That is a lie. You have the spirit that's on you that you think that you need to perform and follow rules to gain my love. And it's a lie. Simon, 
just let down your guard. Touch me. And then Judas pipes up like in defense of his father. And he's like, what's all this waste? This oil could have been sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor. And then Jesus rebukes Judas and says, bro, the poor are always going to be around you, but you only have me for a little period of time. She did the right thing. And this sacrifice is going to serve as a memorial for her into eternity that whenever the gospel is preached, her sacrifice will be remembered. Next line in the Bible is Judas went to the Pharisees to betray Jesus. And if you've ever wondered, how could somebody that walked with Jesus that lived with Jesus, that was loved by Jesus, that was close to Jesus, how could he betray him? I'll tell you, when he has a religious spirit inside of him, that Iscariot, many scholars believe that the word Iscariot means dagger man, that he carried a small sword because he was one of the Sicarii, he was a zealot. That his father was religious, Judas took it to a whole another level of religiosity that what walked in the father ran in the son. And then he did what any religious person would do. Instead of confronting the things that were wrong with him, instead of believing that Jesus wasn't rejecting them, that he was actually inviting him into deeper relationship, he ran to the priest. It's so messed up. But the orphan spirit is probably the most pervasive and probably the most damaging spirit that's in our world today. And fatherlessness in our country is, it's crazy. I grew up with a very broken relationship with my father. My father grew up with a very broken relationship with his father. He was orphaned by his father and his mother as they, uh, were like forgers and they died in prison. My father went into performance. He wanted to be the best at what he did. He went into the military, had a celebrated military career, was a parachutist. And then when he got out of the military, in France you served two years in the military, mandatory. He went to chefing school at Cordon Bleu, the best chefing school in the world. And then he became a sous chef at Chez Maxime, three Michelin starred restaurant in Paris. Then he went out to Vancouver and he was gonna take what he learned at Chez Maxime and start a restaurant in Vancouver and that restaurant was Michelin starred. And he met my mom and they decided to go back to France, back to Saint-Tropez, back to the place to be in France and start a restaurant. And there he started, uh, started a restaurant that again received Michelin stars. But inside he was a very broken man that that orphan spirit had never been healed in him that he performed to prove that he was enough because he never had that father there saying, you got this son, boy, I love you. To pick him up when he fell, to encourage him to continue to move forward, he thought that he had to do it on his own. And it turned him to alcoholism and as an alcoholic, he became emotionally abusive and my mom left him and kidnapped me and took me back to Canada so she could be divorced there and he wouldn't get custody of me because in France, the father always gets custody. And as a little boy, I would meet with him. He could only see me with supervised visitations. And every time I sat with him and met with him, all he could talk about was his own brokenness. 
that he blamed everything on my mom because he was so identified by things outside of him because the place where he should have gotten his identity from, from that heart where the Holy Spirit is meant to live. God makes man in his image. He makes our heart the perfect shape, just like a glove is made in the image of a hand. He makes our heart in the shape of the Holy Spirit so the Holy Spirit can live inside of us. But that, that place where the Spirit is supposed to live, the space where we're supposed to get identity from our Father, the space that we're supposed to be able to hear God's voice had been so twisted for him to believe that he needed to perform for acceptance. And he performed very, very well until the whole house of cards came tumbling down. And for the last 30 years of his life, he went from owning restaurants, he started restaurants for the Hyatt afterwards. He didn't have a restaurant of his own. And at the end of his life, he was working as a cater waiter, drinking himself to sleep every night. And one day he drank himself to sleep and just didn't wake up. And that orphan spirit got passed down to me. And I lived performing for acceptance and I did well, I thought if I got people in my life, if I got the girl, if I got the relationship, if I had people around me that were cheering me on, then I would know that I was enough. I, I thought if I had the position, if I just got the job and got the title, then that would prove that others gave me the title. Then, then that, that means I'm enough, right? If I just get in enough stuff ar around me, if I just get the right car, if I just have the right clothes, if I just have everything, everything put together, then eventually my shoulders will drop and I'll feel like this life that I've created for myself has a place for me to live and I'll feel like I'm enough. But I'll tell you that that's the spirit of the world. And if you carry that spirit on you, just like the enemy, you'll have anxiety, constantly pacing back and forth, looking for something else that you can just devour. Because maybe if I devour that thing, that'll fill the hole. But that hole is so big that it can only be filled by God. And I know that there's some of you today, because you've been real quiet, that are probably processing a lot. When I first heard about the love of God like this, I had to process a lot too. And there were a lot of tears because I thought, oh my God, I've been doing it wrong for so long. I've never felt like I've been able, I, I never felt like I could be close to people. I'd have rooms full of people telling me how great I was, but because my heart was deformed, it could never, ever receive it. And I know that there's some of you that are like that here today. There's probably some of you that have been so hurt that you went off into rebellion. And there's probably some that believed like I did, if you could just perform better, that you've gone off into religion. And I want you, I want to invite you today to just come home. Come home to the Father's house. And I'll tell you that when I came to this church, and I'm so grateful for a pastor that loves so well that I immediately felt loved by a loving spiritual father. 
and it corrected all of these wrong beliefs that I'd had about myself, that I had about life. And thank God it was just in time because I had just met my wife and there were some things that needed to get worked out a little bit more than they had been before we got married and especially before I became a father myself. But you know that God is never late. He's always right on time. And he brought me into this place where I could be loved and in being loved, learn how to love. That the Bible says that we love because God first loved us. We learn how to do the important things in life from the Father. We're able to be honoring because God honored us while we were still far from him, while we didn't deserve it, that he invited us to sit at his table. When we have communion, it's like breaking bread with God. It's a place of honor where we remember that we were invited to sit at his table, that there has always been a seat prepared for us. And if you're here this morning and you relate to any of those areas, I want to give you a chance to respond, not a religious exercise, but a real invitation to genuine relationship with the Father. That in relationship with the Father that was bought by Jesus Christ, you receive your natural inheritance of the Holy Spirit and you start to live differently. You do not have to figure out how it's going to go right now. In fact, it's going to be impossible for you to figure it out. This is an adventure and it continues for a lifetime. Jesus promises in, or Paul writes in Philippians, and it's a promise from God that he will complete every good work that he starts until the day that Christ comes back. And it's a little tongue in cheek because what that means is while you're here on earth, until he splits the sky or calls you home, you will be a work in progress. Welcome to the club. But we want to invite you into a real loving community of people that are willing to get down in the dirt and live this out with you. This is the Father's house. This isn't a place where the religious older brother just hangs out and crosses his arms angry at the ones that were invited inside feeling like they weren't undeserving and where's mine? That's not the spirit of this house. The spirit of this house is a spirit of sonship and I want to invite this. If you want me, if you want me to join, if you want to join me, if you want me to pray with you in this moment, just raise up your hand. If you fit into one of those categories and you're, you want to come home to the Father's house today, raise your hand so I can pray with you. God bless you. God bless you, 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 God bless you. The Bible says that angels are rejoicing when the sons of God come home. The world is waiting for the true sons of God. So would everybody in here close their eyes and bow their heads? Whether you raised your hand or not, if you want to be included in this prayer, repeat after me. If you know that you're already home, I want you to repeat after me too so all of the people that raised their hands can feel the warmth of being welcomed into a loving home. Repeat after me, Father God, I thank you that you have loved me, 
since before the foundations of the earth, that you purposed me as a child. You have never stopped loving me, even when I was far from you. You have always been on the lookout, waiting for me to come home. I declare today that I am at home in your house here on earth and at home in heaven for eternity. God, I pray that you would surround me with real people that are going to live out this journey of life with me in community. I thank you that you have restored relationship with me and I can't wait to see the journey that I have to go on with you in this life. In Jesus' name, amen. Wow, what an amazing word. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Hey, listen, for more information about our church, go to www.awakenchurch.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already and download our app. It is amazing. It is chock full of incredible messages, information about upcoming events, and you can even support our ministry if you feel so inclined. We loved having you with us today. We look forward to seeing you again. God bless you. Live a life that is transformative. Bye for now.